All right, all right, all right, all right. Hey, guys, welcome. Um, we are jumping into a brand new series. Um, we're going to be looking, um, we're going to be talking about how, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like these days, a lot of what we do in church, outside of church, uh, is pretty much self-centered, self-focused, right? I don't think it's an accident that the iPhone was the greatest um, selling cell phone, most selling cell phone in history. Um, and uh, man, there's so many aspects of our lives where we're just, you know, going after um, what makes me happy, what makes me satisfied. And the sad thing is, I think, is that that has kind of bled into the church. And so um, we're going to be looking at this. We're going to take a, 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 a bold, convicting look at you know, um, the church, you know, be in the church in the 21st century and, uh, what Jesus originally, um, envisioned when he was instituting the church and, and launching it and, um, and laying the foundation for it. So it's going to be, uh, probably pretty convicting. I know some of the stuff that I've been reading and researching already is already like hitting me pretty hard. So I hope you guys get a, a lot out of it. But one of the things that we know is that the church is for you, but it's not about you. The church is for you, but it's not about you. Um, we're here for those who aren't here yet, if that makes any sense. And, and uh, I'm excited for what's, what God's going to say to us over the next few weeks. And uh, I'm excited to kind of get real and take a, take a hard look at this and, and uh, see how we can grow in our witness, how we can grow as the church, grow in our service, and how we impact the community and the world around us. So uh, tonight... Tonight, I get to introduce one of my one of my favorite people. Uh, he's a very interesting guy. He's a very interesting guy. If you ask him to count to ten on his toes, he couldn't. He couldn't. That's because he. Uh, <laughs> Come on up here, dude. Um, we call him Timbo Three Toe because uh, which foot is it? Your right foot? Yeah, okay, so on his right foot, he only has three toes. It's pretty sad, right? But he is an amazing disc golf player. I'm like, how do you do that with three toes? I mean, doesn't that take balance or something, you know? Uh, no, he's awesome. I, I love this guy. We've been friends for a few years, and I love watching him connect with students, and, uh, and I love the way that he teaches God's word. So this guy went to Bible college in Hawaii. How cool would it be to go to Bible college in Hawaii? Pretty dope, right? Um, what's that? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, huh? Uh, but I love this guy. I love his heart for God's word. And uh, what the other thing is, like, you know, we were kind of talking through tonight and stuff like that. And he was like, man, we need to wake up as Christians. And I agree with that completely. And so I hope you lean in. I hope you really listen and take to heart what God has to say to us through Tim tonight. Let me just pray for you real quick and then we'll jump into this. Father, thank you so much for Tim. Thank you for the word that you've put on his heart. I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to uh, hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Give it up for Timbo32. All right. What's going on? Uh, normally I just like say something funny, but I have a lot to go through. It's interesting if you let it be. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be going fast. I'm just going to say that, okay? So, the church, it is all about Christ. It has always been about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about us. How did Crispy say it? The church is for you, but it's not about you. But I want to start with, what is 
the greatest commandment? Somebody tell me. What is the greatest commandment? Go. Anybody? What is it? And? And your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. If you want the reference, Mark 12, 28 through 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want to give you a very, very fast, brief, small overview of some of the Old Testament. So let's talk about a man named Jonah. Who's ever heard of a man named Jonah? Anyone? What did God ask Jonah to do? Go talk to the Assyrians. Go to Nineveh. What was his response? No. Why was his response no? Because he had an ego? Because he didn't want to die? It was basically a death sentence? Because there was uh, historical discrepancies between the Ninevites and the Israelites. Discrepancy wasn't the right word. Let's move past that. They did not get along. They had cultural differences. They did not like each other. God said, go, and Jonah said, no. And his attitude towards the Ninevites was grace for me, grace and forgiveness for me, but not for thee, not for you. And so as the Israelites have been chosen by God, they are God's chosen people. They hoarded that grace. They hoarded that forgiveness. And they said, this is for us. We're God's chosen people. We get God's grace. We get God's forgiveness. Not you. Not the Ninevites. It's us and it's them. Now let's talk about Another story. Who's ever heard of the book of Hosea? The story of Hosea? Anyone? A few of us? That one is not as well known. The basis around this story is unfaithfulness offered forgiving restoration. Unfaithfulness offered forgiving restoration. Now I'm going to give you a very quick, brief overlook of the book of Hosea. There's a prophet in the nation of... Judah, northern nation. I could be wrong on that. And God calls him to marry a woman who is inclined to sexual immorality. Some people would believe that she was already in sexual immorality. I would say different because of a verse in Deuteronomy that talks about the marriage laws for a prophet. So God says, Hosea, go and marry this woman who's inclined to sexual immorality, and I'm going to use your relationship, your broken relationship, to illustrate and symbolize Israel's idolatry against me. And so Hosea goes, and he marries this woman, and they bear three children with rather unfortunate names. If you want to look them up, go to the book of Hosea. You can read them for yourself. So he goes, and he marries this woman. They have three children, and then she leaves. She abandons her husband. She abandons her children, and she leaves. And whether it was out of necessity, whether it was she just didn't want to be married to Hosea anymore. She leaves. And so imagine being Hosea, a prophet of God, the prophet that couldn't hold on to his wife, the man of God that could not hold on to his wife. And what is God's response to Hosea? Go and love her again. And so he does. But think about what that must look like. 
Hosea has to go to the part of town that prophets don't go to. He has to walk through the streets that, God, that godly men don't walk down. And there he finds his wife being sold on an auctioning block. And he buys her back for the equivalent of 30 pieces of silver. Anybody else who is bought or sold for 30 pieces of silver? Jesus, thank you very much. You know, we could call it a coincidence. I don't think it is. So Hosea buys back his wife. He owns her. If he wanted, he could kill her and everybody would say, good on you. She was an unfaithful woman. She had it coming. But no, what did God command him to do? God commanded him to love her again. And he recommits himself to her even though he was not the one with a problem of unfaithfulness. And he looks at her and he says, all I want to do is love you. And all I want you to do is love me and let me love you. In the exact same way, the nation of Israel at the time were pursuing other things. They couldn't care less about God. They have this idea and this attitude that God is for us. God is for me, but not for thee. But I'm not going to actually serve him. I'm not going to actually commit myself to him. And God says, let me love you. Let me bless you. That's what I want to do. I want to love you. I want to bless you. And so he uses this picture of unfaithfulness offered forgiving restoration. And I want to just ask you briefly, do we not have the same problem? We have God approaching us saying, all I want to do is love you. All I want to do is offer you grace and mercy and forgiveness. Just let me. But we have a really bad problem of unfaithfulness. And when Hosea found Gomer, all she had to offer was shame and sin and pain and a bad history of being unfaithful. And when Christ found us, all we had to offer him was a bad history of unfaithfulness and shame and pain and ugliness and heartbreak. And yet he still bought us with a price. So let's talk about the various covenants that God made with the nation of Israel. The covenants. Does anybody know what the covenants are? Anyone? Uh, that's sort of one of them. So like the Ten Commandments is the Mosaic Covenant. What are other covenants that you can think of? Which one? The Davidic Covenant. Do you know what the Davidic Covenant was saying? Yes, and that he would come from David's line. You said Noah, the Noahic Covenant. That's another one. The Abrahamic Covenant, the Adamic Covenant. So let's, just so I didn't miss any, from Genesis 1 through to the time we find Jesus, we have the Adenic rule or the Adenic covenant, the Adamic covenant given to Adam, the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and the New. And I know that was a lot, and if you looked it up, I'm sure you could find people that say there's only five covenants or there's six or there's eight for our purposes, we're just going to talk about seven. But really, all I want to focus on is the second. The covenant that was given to Adam. So God created 
everything. God created man and woman in his image. They sinned. There is the fall. There is now separation between God and man. And already in Genesis 3, verse 15, we are looking for the Messiah. We are looking for Christ. And how does the verse go? It, it says, he will bruise your heel, but you will crush his head. And it's talking about how Satan will bruise the heel of man, but Jesus will ultimately crush his head. Jesus will ultimately have the final say, have the final victory. So from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Israelites are looking for the Messiah. And then we come to Jesus, and Jesus gives us the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. I'm actually going to turn there real quick. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenants that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jeremiah is already declaring and prophesying Jesus' return and Jesus' implement of the new covenant. And then Jesus comes back. And what does that new covenant entail? That new covenant brings Gentiles into the story. The nation of Israel is pictured as an olive tree where Jesus, God, is the roots and the people who serve him are the branches and the shoots and the fruit. And then we read in Romans 11, verses 17 through 24. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in amongst the others, and now share in the nourishing roots of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God does not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? That was a lot to say. Here's the nation of Israel. God is going to cut away the branches that are useless, but he is grafting in Gentiles. And this new covenant is where the church starts. So as we are being grafted in, we consider who was Jesus calling? 
Who did Jesus choose? He chose tax collectors. He chose fishermen. He chose prostitutes. He chose sinners. He chose a whole bunch of people that sure didn't seem like they belonged. But God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so when we look at, like, let's look at Mark. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to try and flip there really quick. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed, talking about Jesus, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as he reclined at, table, at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners, sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with, with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. How amazing it is that God includes us in his plan and grafts us into that tree. And it makes me think of, have you guys ever seen the video of like a shepherd who's sitting before his flock and he has other people try to call out to them? If you Google, like, shepherd calls his sheep, I'm sure you can find many videos. But basically, there's people who would do as much as they could to get the attention of these sheep, get them to come over, but they know the voice of their shepherd. They know the voice of their master because that is the voice they are attuned to. That is the voice they are listening for. And so for a minute and a half, there are perfect strangers trying to get their attention, and they couldn't care less. And then when they hear the shepherd's voice, they come running. And so I ask myself, am I actively listening for Jesus' call? Now I'm going to tell you a quick little story. Though some of you don't really know me, you don't know my family, God is moving my family and I. And I'm going to try and make this very quick. My wife and I went up into the mountains asking God, what is next? Where are we going? What is your plan? What should we do? Thinking that God is going to tell us to move to Colorado Springs or move in with a friend or stay right where we're at or go ahead and move forward with a home. And what he said was, sell all of your possessions and move back to Kauai. And I said, what? And he said, you heard me right. And I wish that he had been more gray about it because then maybe I could have talked my way around it. But he was so clear and he was so black and white. Move back to Kauai by the end of the year, by the end of 2021. And I thought, this is crazy. And so I tell my wife and she goes, do you remember that story in our picture book? And I said, what? What are you talking about? I don't remember. Rewind, 2018, my wife and I have been living on Kauai for three years. We are leaving. We're on our way out the door. She puts together 
a picture book. We take it to church, have people sign it. A week later, we're reading it. Front page, first note, couldn't read it at all. Looked like scribbles. Looked like one of our youth students was just being dumb, didn't know how to write. We're like, ah, whatever. Two years later, we are nine months pregnant with our son, Killian. And we are going through our boxes, trying to find room for the baby stuff. We come across that book. We start reading it. Front page. First note. Clear as day. Pray that God blesses you and hope that you come back in 2021 and bring your baby boy with you. I said, that's crazy that this Filipino lady who's been a missionary and who's very in tune with the Lord happened to know that we were having a baby boy. But you know what? We'll go on vacation. It's 2020. COVID's a thing. Things are nuts. We'll go next year. Whatever. We forget about it. God says, move back to Kauai by the end of the year. Maddie says, do you remember that note? And then I remembered. Hope you come back. 2021. Bring your sweet baby boy. A few days later, I'm talking to my brother. I, I tell him the whole story. He goes, that's interesting. And I go, why is that interesting? He says, my wife and I were talking. She stops mid-conversation and says, why did Tim and Maddie ever leave Kauai? Do you think they'll ever go back? And he says, I think they will, but all in God's timing. They had that conversation on the same day that God told us to go back to Kauai. So my brother wasn't very surprised. We call some friends on island. And out of the blue, we say, we're moving back to Kauai. God gave us a vision for a home church with like a missionary outreach. We don't know what it's going to look like exactly. And he said, that's amazing because I've been meeting with young men and women in the church who are waiting to do ministry because they have been deceived that they are not allowed to do ministry until the old guy up front dies in 20 years. And he says, no, you don't need to wait to do ministry. I'm not telling you to go plant a church. I'm not telling you to do this or that, but you don't need to wait. So they started praying that God would bring the right people at the right time. And then we call out of the blue and we say, God told us to move back to Kauai. We don't know why yet. We're kind of figuring that out. And so I bring that up because when God was telling me this, he asked me, what is the cost of obedience? What is the sacrifice of obedience? And then my wife asked the question, what is the cost of disobedience? Take Jonah. God called him to take this message of forgiveness and redemption and mercy to a nation that was hated. He said, no, I don't want to go. What was his cost of disobedience? And then you take Paul, man who was confronted by Jesus on the Damascus road, changed his life forever, followed him every single day, planted churches, and suffered greatly. What was the cost of Paul's obedience? But which would you rather pay? Would you rather pay the price of disobedience and knowing, possibly for the rest of your life, what you could have seen and done letting God lead you? You don't have to wait to do ministry. You don't have to wait for the old guy up front to die before it's your turn. I don't care that you're young. God doesn't care that you're young. He called David an anointed king at the age of 16. Okay? 
Just let that sink in. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. So now let's talk about the weeping king. So Jesus comes, the triumphal entry, coming down, and the people are singing, Hosea, Hosea, or Hosanna, Hosanna. And he weeps. Why does he weep? He weeps because they missed it. Because they wanted a conquering king to overthrow the Romans, and that was not why he showed up. He showed up to implement a new covenant and graft in new people and start a new church with a new mission that will take his grace and forgiveness and mercy to the people. And so I ask you, is Christ truly the cornerstone of the church? I don't want to just say this church, but just the church in general. Is Christ the first thing that we see when we walk into a church? Because I have walked into churches, and had I not known anybody already, no one would have talked to me. No one would have welcomed me and my family. I did not see Jesus when I walked through the door. And we've gotten so caught up in our things, so caught up in the things that we idolize, that we've completely forgotten the God. We hoard his grace. We say, oh, I'm covered by God's grace. I'm covered by his forgiveness. But, you know, I'm just, he, he's a vending machine God. He's there when I need him. But am I actually listening for the shepherd's voice when he calls me? And when he does call me, am I ready and willing to pay the price of obedience? Because we were bought with a price. God does not condemn people to hell. We do it ourselves. We are the ones who have sinned. We are the ones who have racked up the debt. And he is the one who has offered to pay it on our behalf. And when we accept that, we have been bought with a price. And just like Gomer, Jesus could have done with us whatever he wanted. But what did he do? He said, be a part of my family. Share in the blessings that I have earned. Let me love you and love me in return. I know I've talked for a long time. Let's briefly talk about Afghanistan. Throw that up there. What will your faith look like when the heat is turned up? Do you guys know what's going on in Afghanistan right now? A little bit? Here's something that I read today. 226 missionaries, Christians, pastors are going to be beheaded tomorrow. That's happening. That is the real world. There are Christians fleeing by the thousands into the mountains because they know that the threat is real. And that there are men who hate them and they hate what they stand for. What will your faith look like if in 10 years Christianity is outlawed outright? Because the church is complacent. The church is 
been too comfortable for too long. The Western American church does not know what persecution looks like. And you can say, oh, whatever, this is a joke. I don't have to listen to this. Who cares? But this is happening right now. And so I ask you, are you truly loving God and loving others? That is the greatest commandment. Are we hoarding the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that God is offering freely? Are we running away from his grace and forgiveness? And he says, all I want to do is love you. We say, no, I don't want that. I'm going to go and live back in my filth and nastiness and sin. And that's what I want. Because here's the thing. The heat's going to get turned up. And I feel like the church is a frog in almost boiling water at this point. It's been nice and cool, and then it got a little bit warm. And because of the gradual increase, we have not seen that there is an outright attack on God. When the heat gets turned up, what will your faith look like? And what will the price for your obedience be? What will the price for your disobedience be? How do we love people right now? The church is for us, but it's not about us. It is about Christ. It has always been about Christ. We have always been looking for that Messiah. Don't miss it the same way the Israelites missed it. Don't treat God like a vending machine. He's there when you need him. But rather, pray and fast and seek him and attune your ear to the shepherd's voice. And when he says, get up, sell everything, and go, ask yourself, are you willing to pay the cost of obedience? Ultimately, while loving God and loving others, the story isn't about you. We have been included. We have been grafted in. But ultimately, it's about Christ. And he is coming back a conquering king, the one that the Israelites thought they needed at the time. He said he's coming back, and he is. But the message still stands the same, love God and love people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, just for tonight. Lord, I pray that um, you'll just soften our hearts to your word, soften our hearts to your message. Um, and Lord, just show us what it looks like to be selfless and how to love selflessly. How to love others and love God. And Lord, I pray that you give everyone in Afghanistan strength and hope. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.